with my good friend PJ Glasser, who cannot pick a single game right in our bets. All right, I'll give you some credit. You got two right out of ten. Uh, I'm Joe Malf, and this is episode 18 of the Glass of Joe podcast. I'm seven and three, I might add. Uh, so, PJ, you've got some serious catching up to do, and I can start to already smell and taste the Waffle House as yeah. well as the best bets. So, uh, you you gotta you gotta get it together here. I do. I always struggle week one. Week two easily could have gone. Well, I easily could have gone three and five. New England, oh. they got stopped at the one yard line. So right. we're a yard away from being three and five. But, you know, and, steady, and the, steady progress. And, and the Seahawks are a yard away from having another Super Bowl ring. So it, <laughs> I mean, it's true, but yeah, I, that, that was unfortunate. I thought they were going to, I thought they were going to win it and they almost did. That was a good game. Now, one thing that neither of us saw coming, I don't think anybody saw coming, except for the golfer himself, was Bryson DeChambeau destroying Wingfoot six under. Going back to what we were talking about last week, the stat that Tom Rinaldi had brought up on ESPN ahead of the, the start of the U.S. Open, in the seven majors held at Wingfoot, only two golfers had finished the tournament under par. And he went six under. Nobody else was under par. Wolf was at par. Everybody else was over. <laughs> I Joe, don't think I, anybody saw that coming. One of the best just – overall four days of golf I've ever seen. To shoot six under at a course like that, he said his strategy coming out was he was going to bomb it all over the place, hit it as far as he could, and play out of the rough. And playing out of Wingfoot's rough is not easy, as you saw from virtually every other golfer. I thought it would wear on him, and it just never did. All these guys, Patrick Reed, Wolf, they were towards the top consistently, but they weren't hitting fairways, and then eventually it caught up with them. But DeShambo, he just he kept hitting it as far as he could, and he just found ways to save par, make birdies, to shoot a three-under bogey-free round on a Sunday at a championship. When you have guys all over the place making bogeys, double bogeys, just really impressive. DeShambo, now that he's seen that his process can work, his formula can work, he, I, he said that he wants to add on another 15 pounds for the that. Masters. I, so now that he's seen he can win the U.S. Open, which is the hardest of the majors to win, there is no reason to think that he can't win all of them. And I promise you that's his mindset. And this might be the new age of golf, Joe, the new wave of golf, much like Steph Curry was for basketball with his dribbling and his shooting. DeShambo might be the new wave of golfer of just these super strong dudes that can mash it off the tee and just overpower a golf course. I'm curious to see what the Masters look like as far as – courses go of course you could just try to match the masters as well but there's got to be some more finesse in your game at augusta and it doesn't it's obviously not as long of a course as a place like wingfoot or some of these other courses that you see for the u.s open that you see uh, for the open when it comes back next year overseas some of those courses the shambo could really gain that advantage by just driving the thing 550 you know like uh, uh, but at, at Augusta he's gonna have to rein it in a little bit and, and rely on the other aspects of his game which have been coming together as well so again no reason to believe he can't go out and win the Masters but it, it'll look different than Wingfoot but anytime you have a course going forward that plays as long as Wingfoot I mean DeShambo has to be right up there it, it's no question based on the way he is playing on long courses like that where he could just match the ball is it premature to say that in the same way that when Kepka plays a major, Kepka's a guaranteed pick pretty much to finish top five, mm -hmm. where if it's a long course like that, you almost have to, you know, 
marker in DeChambeau for a top five finish? I think you have to, because if you remember at the PGA Championship, he was right in contention. Right there. And Harding yeah. Park was another long course. So, you know, if one, they say once is a fluke, two is no accident. He's exactly. done it twice now. He's played well this entire season. He's a top five player in the world. There's no reason to think you're right. Augusta's much different. There's a certain pressure that comes with it. As we talked to Steve Sands and he told us, you know, that par 3 12th gets a lot of guys. Yeah. And obviously you, you can't, can't drive it for 50. Right? Than par so it's, it's such a different golf course. But you got to think that for every U.S. Open for the next 10 years, Joe, him and Kepka, every DJ, U.S. Open, every PGA, the and the longer open courses, depending on, you know, obviously where it is in a given year. He'll be at the top of the odds, no question. No question. And as far as the odds go, the Denver Nuggets have been the underdogs in their series so far, with the exception of the Jazz. They, they were slight favorites in that series. Yeah. Go down 3-1, win the series. Against the Clippers, massive underdogs. Get destroyed game one, go down 3-1, win the series. Big underdogs against the Lakers. They're down 2-1. to one. Tonight they could go down 3-1. to one. Uh, They're coming off of a, a big win in game three. Arguably should have yeah, – I won't say arguably should have won game two. I mean, uh, people, if Davis misses yes, that shot, yes. they win it. Uh, that's, where I, uh, that's where I was going to stop myself. Yes, they arguably could have won it. it. It came down to that shot. But it was a game that was controlled by the Lakers. And Nikola Jokic went on an insane tear the oh, last two minutes yeah. of that game. Yeah. That game was 100-92 to 92 with like two and a half minutes left. And then he scored, I think it was 13 points in the last – I'm sorry, he, he scored – yeah, 13 points in the last two and a half minutes. So if Nikola Jokic didn't go on an absurd tear, the Lakers would have had that game in hand by a few points in the last minute. Uh, and they, again, they were the better of the team through 45 minutes of that game. Um, but still, the Nuggets gave them a scare in game two. Yeah. I'm hesitant. Like I said, I'm hesitant to say the Nuggets should have won that game or could have won that game if not for the Davis shot because it was a Lakers better performance. It was Nikola Jokic uh, like the – gif of the man walking with flames around him uh in the last two and a half minutes of that game um and and the lakers went on the last shot so the lakers killed them in game one game two could have gone either way game three went the nuggets way what happens tonight we'll we'll find out but do you you almost get the sense that the lakers want to want to lose this one just so the nuggets don't have that psychological advantage of being down three to one (laughs) i mean i think the nuggets love where they're at right you you would think after the way they lost game two like you're like maybe that's gonna rattle them you have a chance to get a split with the lakers one one you lose at the buzzer and you're thinking can they win four of the next five games to take this series i just don't know and then they come right out and they win game three we can't we can't dominate count anymore we can't count them out so look whether they win tonight whether they lose tonight they know they can do it so i think game four the nuggets obviously would like to tie the series up make it a best of three of course but i just i mean their track record perceives themselves they've come back from 3-1 against utah and the clippers so if they lose tonight they got to feel like boys I, we've playing, done it they're playing with house money tonight no question either they tie it two to two or they go down three to one and they're like yeah nobody expected us to Let's win do it again we've done it twice why not do it again? So right. they're absolutely playing with house and money And if they tonight. go down 3-1, do you sense that there's almost so much pressure on the Lakers? In there would be a lot. Five? But here's the, here is the trump card for the Los Angeles Lakers. LeBron James in his career has had 18 series 
go to a 3-1 lead in favor of his team. Of those 18 series, zero saw a game six. He is 18-0 when his team has the 3-1 lead. Not 18-0, well, 18-0 in the series, series, but also 18-0 in game five of that series. None of them have even seen a game six. That's, so that's a stat. They, they've got that going in their favor as well. Yeah. But, uh, it's hey, Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic, we've, before the playoffs started, we, we were murmuring about this Nuggets team. What can they be? What are they now? Um, where do they fit into the whole Western Conference shuffle? The answer might be right up there at the top with the Lakers and the Clippers now. We, we talked about whether or not they could be that consistent team. You know, last year they, they go out against the Blazers. You know, they've been right there, but they haven't put it all together. They put it all together. Jamal right. Murray is a bona fide yeah. stud. Nicole Jokic is a bona fide stud. And they are going to be a team to be reckoned with for the next few years. Uh, they've got a really good coach. They Michael do. Porter, and Joe Porter we, Jr. has been really good as well as a, as a third option. Yeah. They have a really good base. And, and w- something that kind of flies under the radar, they've been playing together the longest as a team compared to the Lakers or Clippers. Those teams are newly formed. This Nuggets core has been together for a few years. Right. And, you know, when you think of destinations for high-profile free agents, you don't think of Denver or the Denver Nuggets. But with those two young superstars, there are going to be a lot of older veterans who Mm -hmm. are thinking like, oh, yeah, like I want to go play with those guys and try and wing a ring because those two aren't going anywhere. They're only going to get better. And as we are about to talk about the Heat Celtics, I just got to ask you, is there anybody sitting at home watching the bubble who's got a bigger smile on their face than John Calipari with all his oh Kentucky Wildcats. No. Hero, Murray, Booker, Bam, Anthony Dave. It's everywhere I look, it's like, oh, there's another Kentucky Wildcat doing good things. I it's saw someone tweet that out the other day when, uh, when Anthony Davis was trending after he hit the shot. Um, on the trending page on Twitter, I, I just clicked into his name to see what, you know, NBA Twitter is always great after moments right. like that. You go through to see what the best of the best are. And one of them, it was, uh, you, you remember, you know, this is going back a few years now, but it, it comes back every now and then, the, the meme of Kermit the Frog just sitting there sipping his tea. Uh, it, was, it was John Calipari's, like, face photoshopped on the Kermit the Frog. Uh, and, it, it, and I think the, the caption was, uh, <laughs> the next time someone asks how John Calipari recruits, he's just going to roll on the tape of the, of the 2020 bubble. No I question. Mean, That's all you need to do. That's all you need to do. And Tyler Hero, you mentioned, he is the first ever player to be playing in a conference finals born in the 2000s. And he goes off for 37 last night. He was That's absurd. I, I <laughs> loved him at Kentucky. Calipari's guards that he has in college. I mean, they're all, whether it's De'Aaron Fox, Malik Monk, Hero, Booker, Bledsoe, John Wall, he's just had so many good ones. And Hero, I mean, he's special, man. He's, he's only going to get better. I love Jamal Miami. Murray. You don't even mention Jamal Murray. Yeah, there you Murray. go. Murray, he's pretty Murray. good, too. So, uh, yeah, I, they're just – Hero's great. Miami's great. I think Eric Spolstro was so overlooked as a coach when he had LeBron and Wade and Bosh, and now he's getting his due yeah. as one of the best coaches in the league. Um, but do you, do you see any way Boston gets back into this thing? They definitely can because of how evenly matched the series is, yeah, but I just I mean, don't see Miami losing three in a row. That's, that's the kind of they needed sides last of this they one. Needed it last I, they re- I think they needed it last night. 
all four games have been tight, really yeah. good games. Yeah. So it's not far fetched to think the Celtics can't get back into it. They could just as easily be up three one as they are down three one. But this Heat team has shown a propensity for closing games out and closing teams out. And it's just gonna be tougher than the battle back from three one down, even though they have Last night, for example, uh, they were the better team last night, the Celtics, in just about every facet except for turnovers. They had a lot of costly turnovers down the stretch. I don't know why Tice still gets all the important minutes that he gets. I feel like every time the ball touches his hands in the post, he throws it away. Uh, but they had last night in the fourth quarter, uh, I, I forgot to check what the final stat was, uh, but with about 90 seconds left in the, in the fourth quarter before all that chaos ensued in the end, uh, the last 90 seconds took felt like 90 minutes, but they had six turnovers compared to the Heat's zero in the fourth quarter up until the last minute and a half. So they, they were out shooting them. They were out rebounding them, the Celtics, but they had those six turnovers to the Heat's none in the fourth quarter. And not to say that Brad Stevens is a bad coach. I think he's one of the best in the NBA, but a testament to the discipline of the Heat, the coaching of Eric Spolster. They're not making any of those mental mistakes that have caused the Celtics in these games. And that's why the Heat are up. And, and that's why it's going to be really tough for the Celtics to come back. I, I do think we get to a game seven. Really? I do think we get there. Uh, I do think we get there. I don't know that the Celtics come away with it. But I do think game five is as good as theirs. I think they're going to come out and, and maybe win by double digits in game five. Uh, game six, we'll see at that point. You know, but I think we'll get to a game seven. I don't know that they... I don't have any confidence in saying they win a game seven because that's a coin flip and, and the games have been so tight. But I think with their resolve, with their talent, with the fact that they have been the better team in, in a couple of these games, like I said, could have just easily been up three to one. I think we get to a game seven. And then from there, we just sit back and enjoy watching game seven of, of the Eastern Conference final. Yeah, well, both these conference finals have been really good. The Nuggets, obviously winning game three, have made that a series. And we'll see if Boston can make it a series. South Florida, though, right now is on. I mean, they are the center of the sports universe. You got the Heat. The Marlins are battling for a playoff spot. You got the Tampa Bay Lightning in the Stanley Cup playoff. Um, and after dropping game one, Joe, they it's looked been the apart. Theme. It's been they, the theme for the Lightning yeah. in this postseason. They come yeah. out, they lay an egg in a game one, then they just torch you. And it's, they are so talented. They added Steven Stamkos into the mix last night. He scores a shorthanded goal after having not played since February 25th. So that's an incredible story in and of itself. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, the team was already more talented than any other team in the NHL. They're hotter than any team in the NHL. They add Stamkos to the mix, which helps them on the ice and emotionally. I don't know if you saw the bench reaction to when he scored. It, it was as if they had just scored an overtime winner, the way the bench went nuts when they saw Stamkos score. So everything's going their way. Um, I, I, we've been on the lightning train since the, sure before it started. There's no reason to hop off of it now, that's for sure. I still think the, the Stars will rebound with the game, uh, but it, I've got lightning in six. And I, I could see the Stars making it interesting by winning game four. Uh, Hudobin got pulled after last night. I think game four kind of has that, you know, Stars come out, lay some heavy hits, play chippy, clog the neutral zone. Godobin rebounds with uh, a few big saves and a really good performance after a bad one. They make it 2-2, even though all the momentum seems to be going against them right now. But then after they make it 2-2, laser focus from the Lightning, they win two straight and they take the cup in six. Right. 
And I'm with you. I think uh, in playoff hockey, usually when there's a blowout loss, the following game, the team that got blowout always plays well. Always even if they don't well. win, even if they don't win, it's always a close game. Always a close game. But I'm with you. We've been on Tampa from the start. No reason to get off now. Not only does Miami have the pro teams rolling right now, but the yes. Miami football team, they had Kirk Herbstreet and Chris Fowler call their game last week. They're calling the game this week against Florida State. And when we say Miami football team, we're talking the Miami Hurricanes, not some minor league affiliate of the Washington football team. Right. <laughs> that is correct. Got to make sure we make that clear. Um, but the SEC returns this week. Um, just a little bit excited about that. Just a little bit, PJ. Joe, no really good games this week, next uh, week. There's some intrigue. There's some there's Auburn, some Kentucky intrigue. will be okay. Have, I was just going to say, you have, South a, Carolina, you have a ranked matchup. You yeah. can't just dismiss this week. You have a 23 versus 8 matchup in Kentucky-Auburn. I'm really excited to see Mississippi State LSU just because of uh, Leach's debut. In Nobody's ABS talking State. about that. It's fl- flown so under the radar. They're like, Mike Leach. I know, but There's it's just crazy. Mike on. Leach is starting his first SEC game to- this week, and nobody's talking about it. And, and you want to see what, what comes out of LSU. I yeah. really wish in an alternate universe, um, it was talked about towards the beginning of quarantine when, when some play, uh, conferences just announced there would be no football or they'd play only a couple games. But Trey Lance of North Dakota State, Way at the beginning was rumored to have possibly transferred oh, to LSU. Yeah. That would have been incredible, incredible for who? to watch. For who? Well, I, I would not for you, yeah. not for not for Bama people like you. <laughs> no, but, but I know for, what you're saying. That would have been for for viewers been. of the sport. That would have been incredible. But there's there's some intrigue this week. I'm not going to dismiss it. Next week for sure is a really good week. But uh, there's there's definitely some fun to be had this week in the SEC. And my favorite game of the college football week isn't in the SEC, isn't in the Big 12, isn't in the Ace. I cannot wait to watch the Army-Cincinnati game. Love love the wishbone. Army's been rolling in their first two games of the season. Cincinnati right now, I feel like them and UCF are kind of leading the pack of the group of five, and there's been so much talk about how, obviously, this is the year, the best chance that the group of five will have of getting in. So Cincinnati can make a statement this week on national television, on ABC against Army with a big win. They're favored by 13 and a half, which just, I mean, that seems crazy. Too much. Might be a little preview of who I got of the best bet coming down there. Right, let, let, let me write that down. Pick yeah. the opposite. Pick the opposite, exactly. <laughs> um, but but no. wait, before we, before we move on uh, to, to our guest for the week, something was kind of tumbling in my mind. And it was the wheels of an idea, but, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean it's going in a good place. Uh, of all the years that we've had talk of possible college football playoff expansion, am I foolish to think this would not be the perfect year to try something? 100 because, because you're going to have a team from the Big Ten probably run the table but only play nine or ten games, and you're going to have maybe a group of five team like Cincinnati who goes 13-0, 14-0. Know exactly what the numbers will come out to. Obviously, we don't know where games will or won't be canceled. Right. But you're going to have a team that has maybe four more games than another team, and certain conferences that aren't playing as many games. You know, there's going to be a, a a big outcry if a 13 or 14 and 0 Cincy team doesn't get in over an 8 and 0 or 9 and 0 Ohio State team. Um, and of all years. Maybe maybe you don't want to do this because you don't want to add an extra game to the schedule, depending on travel and stuff. But throwing that aside, just from a logical standpoint, 
this would be the perfect year to expand to eight. Just, just try it. And if, it, if, if people don't like it, you dismiss it. You say that was a one-off. We're back to four next year. But it gives you a chance to include that 14-0 group of five team, 13-0. gives you a chance to include an undefeated Ohio State, even if they're only 8-0. It, it, you know, you, you're seeing Notre Dame's game canceled this year, postponed to December 12th. But mm-hmm. th- is that a precursor of things to come? Might there be another team who, out there who only goes 9-0? So you, you could have teams this year that don't really play a full schedule but are undefeated and have a claim to stake to make the playoff. This would be the good year to go for eight. I don't know. I've been thinking about the last couple of days. No, and I, really I mean, about much, but. And I think it makes a lot of sense too, because bowl season's already going to be hurt. You're not yeah. going to have as many bowls as you're going to. So by adding games to the college football playoff, not only are you adding more meaningful bowl games, but you have a chance more uh, teams possibly competing for a title. Exactly. I think it makes a lot of sense. Plus two, I don't think what many people are talking about is the Big Ten has not left themselves any room to make up games. So they're trying to play eight games in eight weeks, Joe. If Ohio State misses that, exactly one of their games, exactly. and God forbid it's the Penn State game or it's the Michigan game, how are you going to put in a 7-0 and Ohio State team who hasn't played their best opponent over a Cincinnati team that goes Yeah. You know? So I'm with you. Crazy. you. If there was ever a year to experiment, you hear college basketball talking about possibly putting every team into the Which dance. Which is stupid, but yes. That is stupid. <laughs> but again, the thought is of adding more teams. College football, why not? I mean, teams are already playing less games than they're normally playing. Why not put more teams in there? If they're truly the best team, then they can beat anybody. Agreed. I'm with you. I think it makes a lot of sense. Joe, who do we got uh, interviewing this week as you're wearing your Maryland shirt over there? We mentioned it last week that uh, we apologize for breaking our streak of guests because something came up because our guests had something to do with the Big Ten. And last week, football was announced. Things happened. Last-minute cancellation. No fault of his own. Uh, we thought we weren't going to have him until the beginning of October, but he was gracious enough to join us already this week. Johnny Holiday, the voice of the Maryland Terrapins and on Masson for the Washington Nationals in the past, uh, legend in the industry, and very happy to have him on. A lot of close personal experiences with him, uh, having worked for the Maryland football team, which we touch on in, in the interview, but uh, very good to see his face again and, and really excited to hear him on some, some Maryland football coming up in a few weeks. Very excited to welcome this week's guest, Maryland Terrapins legend, the voice of the Terps, Johnny Holiday. Johnny, I haven't seen you since we went, we walked off the court uh, at Seton Hall in December. That was the last game I called as a student at Maryland, uh, and it's great to see you today. How are you doing? Thank you. Nice to be with you guys. Thanks for the invitation. Yeah, thanks for joining us. It's great to have you on. How, how have you kind of been navigating these times? Uh, I think like everybody else, you know, it's, it's, uh, I'd rather see it different times than what we're going through now, unfortunately, but you know, you do the best you can, you make the best of it. You wear the mask, you wash your hands 15,000 times a day, (laughs) you you keep social distancing and, uh, uh, I, you know, walk a lot, get out and run a lot, play a lot of golf and, uh, you know, trying to do things as normally as you possibly can. But it's, it's been tough. It's been tough on everybody. And I feel very bad for the people who've been affected by this virus, who have been sick, hospitalized, and otherwise. And a knock on wood, so far, I've been, I've been pretty lucky. Nobody in my family's been sick. <clears throat> Excuse me. I haven't been sick. And uh, very, very lucky. 
How about you guys? Everything good? Everything's been, right. been yeah. good on this end. Nobody, nobody immediate family's sick. I've been healthy. I'm, I'm down near, near the roughest part down here in, in South Florida. So I've been really careful. Wait, 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 wait a minute. You're in South Florida? I am. I am. What am I doing up here? If you're not, <laughs> what, are you doing, what are you doing in my home state? I'm working. I'm working. That's <laughs> my goodness. Where, whereabouts in Florida? I'm down between, uh, right between Fort Lauderdale and Miami. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. I'm calling uh, soccer games on ESPN Plus uh, for USL Championship and USL League One, uh, the second and third division beyond, beyond the MLS. So I'm down here to work and, and just keeping my distance from everybody and, and being really careful. So You know, you know Miami is my home. I know, I know. I'm, I'm down. I'm occupying. I'm renting your space down here. Yeah, North Miami High School. North Miami. Mm. I haven't. I haven't driven out down towards uh, Miami. I'm a bit north of there, but um, I, I graduated with honors in six years. There you go. Yeah. There you go. Make make the most of it. Make, you right. needed that. You know, they say a year older, a year wiser. So you needed That's that right. those six years to get the honors. Yeah. <laughs> You're right. Yeah. Johnny, Got we it. wanted to uh, talk to you about the big news right off the bat. Big Ten deciding that they're going to return with football. Wanted to just get your initial thoughts on the conference deciding to restart the season. And what's that going to mean for you now? Do you know if you'll be traveling with the team on away games? Will you just be calling games at home and in a studio? What's that going to look like? I don't think we know yet. <clears throat> Excuse me. I know we're going to be doing the home games at the stadium. As far as the road games are concerned, we have no idea. I would much rather be there in person to do a game than watch off the television monitor or seven or eight television monitors. Uh, you, don't, you don't have the same feeling at all. But then again, you want, to, you want to go by whatever the stipulations are for that particular school. They may not allow anybody to come in except the players and the coaches and administrative personnel. So I think we're still working on that to see what we're going to do. Uh, I would hope that we'll be able to travel as we always have. Uh, but, you know, wh whichever the situation is, we'll make the best of it. On that note, I, I was thinking back, you know, uh, recently I was looking through some of my old pictures uh, for from working for the football team. And I came across, you know, a lot of the stuff from Minnesota trip last year. And I'm sitting here thinking about that. That's almost a year to the day, a couple of weeks from now, I guess. Uh, that was my last trip I took as, as a senior. I remember sitting next to you on the bus ride that morning into the stadium. We were just chatting, chatting about Coach Turgeon and different things. And, and I'm thinking, you know, as they're announcing the Big Ten's coming back, like that's not happening anymore. It was something that we took for granted, a little morning exchange on the bus into the stadium for a road game, and it's gone. Um, how much are you going to miss, like, those little day-to-day -day things, seeing the coaches in the lobby on uh, the morning of the way to the game, those little things that you took for granted. Yeah, that, when, you know something, that's, that's all part of the whole experience when you do a ball game. When you work for one school, you get to know the players, you get to know the coaches, you get to know the venues, the opposing coaches, the opposing SIDs, you get to know the people in the restaurants and the hotels, uh, the, some of the fans as well. That, that's, that's the thing I'm going to miss the most if we can't have that. Now, basketball has not had any guidelines yet as to what they're going to do. Maybe they're going to have allow some fans in. Maybe not. I don't know. Uh, that's still to, is to be determined. But that's that's part of the whole experience, as you know. Uh, you know, you pick up little tidbits when you're at practice, when you're in the hotel, when you're in the lobby, when you're doing a pregame interview with a player, mm -hmm. uh, when you go to the arena or go to the football stadium and you see the opposing coach. All these things are involved in your broadcast. And if all those things are taken away, you better be darn good at being creative <laughs> you know, and filling time 
because it's going to be totally different if they're not available. You talk about the interactions with the coaches and players, and it's a great point. Now, Mike Loxley got Rakeem Jarrett, one of the best receiving recruits in the country, and he brought over Tyloua Tungavailoa from Alabama to play quarterback. Have you gotten a chance to see either of those guys play yet during practice, or in, what are your expectations um, this season? Well, you, you know, so far, I mean, I haven't asked to go to practice. Uh, I may be able to go. I may not. They may have certain protocols down there uh, that don't allow anybody except the players and the coaches, and I can understand that. Um, sooner or later, you're going to have to do interviews at a distance uh, for your pregame show and your, your radio shows and television shows. Uh, but whatever their guidelines are at Maryland, I'm going to follow those guidelines. I don't want to overstep any boundaries. I don't want to say, okay, well, I've been doing this for a lot of years. I deserve to go in. No, that's not the case. I have to do the same thing everybody else is doing. And if they say no, that's fine. If they say yes, that's even finer if they say yes. But so far, I, I haven't seen anybody. I haven't seen anybody from Maryland since the last game in, in basketball. Wow. It, it, back in March. Wow, yeah. Yeah, so it's been like six months. Crazy. That's crazy. Yeah. And they, do send, now, they do send me pictures from now, you know, now and then I can take a look at their photographs. Yeah. Like Sean Ellen the same. Seminovic, they haven't changed at all. <laughs> right. I saw Dustin, he, he had a beard going for quarantine. I did see that, but uh, oh, really? I, I, wonder really? if that's, I wonder if that's gone now. Um, I would I, imagine so. You're mentioning all these names. I can't imagine him with a beard. No. So, yeah, yeah. You're mentioning all these names, and I'm missing them too now thinking back. I can't believe it's been as long as it's been. But over to Maryland basketball, um, I feel for guys, obviously, like – like Cowan, Sticks, and all these guys, because we know the potential that that team had last year. Um, and before we start uh, segueing into this upcoming college basketball season, which we don't really know what it's going to look like, when it's going to happen, if it's going to happen, you had a front row seat last year. How far did you really think they could go? I thought the way they were playing, the, the confidence that they had, they might be a Final Four team. And I know that's going out on a limb, but – you know, when you have guys like Cowan, you have guys like Jalen Smith that they're going to miss tremendously this year. Mm -hmm. And the leadership those guys had, and I, I could, you could see the confidence building as the season wound down and they started having marquee wins. And everything kind of clicked together. And that's what's so disappointing about not going to the, to the Big Ten tournament, number one, which they could have won that thing, not going to the NCAA tournament, to take away what these guys – had worked for for such a long time just to get there, then all of a sudden have the rug pulled out from under them is very disappointing. I mean, I, as, as much as I was disappointed, you guys were, think how the players were. Yeah. It's like, like that. Immediately it comes to an end and there's, there's nowhere to turn. There's nobody to talk to. There's nobody to say, can we do something to get this back? No, you can't. It's over. And, uh, but I think they could have been a Final Four team myself. I agree with you. I always joke with my friends that, you know, a long time from now, I'm going to show them that picture of Cowan and Turge cutting down the nets. And I'm going to tell them that that, that was in Atlanta. It wasn't in College Park. It was in Atlanta. <laughs> now, looking ahead to this year's team with no Cowan, with no sticks, uh, guys like Ayala, Morcel, uh, they're going to be asked to do a lot more uh, on a younger team. What are your expectations when and if we get to that season? Well, I think Ayala and Wiggins – and Marcel, that'll be the three keys right there. And, and if uh, 
if Mariel can play, I mean, who knows if he can or not, you know, he's had such injuries over his career. I, I think he's going to be a major factor too, but those three guys you mentioned, they're going to have to carry the load. And I, I don't think they're going to have to do too much. I think they understand the leadership role that they have. And they've got some good young freshman kids coming in, believe me, and a couple of transfers that can play. And without question, they're not going to be the same team they were last year. No way. But I would never, ever count out Mark Turgeon as a coach for what he can do and with what he has, the talent that he has. And uh, I think it's going to be a very good basketball season. I know they pushed it back a couple of weeks to start later in November, and they're planning to start on time uh, and not looking at any kind of delays or postponements or moving it to January or whatever. And they're going to start in November. And I think that's the only thing you can look at. Plan on November. Here's our focus. Let's go. And let's play and see what happens. But the Big Ten is so tough. You know, look at football. Very tough in football. Oh, yeah. And uh, very tough in basketball, too, with Michigan State and Michigan, all those teams. People forget last year yeah. before everything shut down. I mean, teams, bracketology had, had them by far the most teams yeah. Yeah. of any conference. You know, we, th we thought the ACC was good. I mean, ACC was good while we were there. You know, some, some years Florida State would be dynamite. Other years, Carolina would be dominant, uh, uh, Virginia to be dominant, Duke always a good team. But, man, there's nothing like the Big Ten. Where you play a Michigan State, and then you say, oh, we got rid of them. Oh, now we got, uh, we got Michigan the next week. Oh, now we got Ohio State. I mean, it's just game after game after game. There's yeah. no letdown. And then you look at a team like Nebraska and, uh, you know, what, what they got out there this year. Uh, I mean, they, they've, got, they've got a lot. Iowa. With with the uh, Garza, Garza, yeah, Ray School out there. That I mean, that kid's the first team All American and maybe Player of the Year. And so all the teams that used to be used to be able to write off like a Rutgers, they were top twenty five last year. No longer, no. Nope. And even Penn State used to be kind of like an automatic win yep. in basketball. That's not the case anymore. They're top top to, top to bottom, definitely the best yep. conference in college basketball. You touched on the ACC a little bit. When you get the schedule and you see Michigan, Michigan State, Ohio State, is there a little part of you that wants to see Duke, Carolina, Virginia on the schedule? Do you miss those ACC days? Do you miss the rivalries? Yeah, I like to have Duke and Virginia and North Carolina on the schedule as non-conference opponents, which, mm. they, would be, which they would be now. Yeah, right. it'll, probably, it'll probably never happen. But yeah. I think if the ACC and the Big Ten were smart, they would have an ACC Big Ten matchup with Maryland and Duke. Can't beat that. Can't beat it. Maryland, Carolina. We've already had Maryland, Virginia. Right. Uh, I think it would be good for both conferences. I know how much Krzyzewski uh, yeah. has respect for the Maryland program, and it could be done, and also Mark Turge in the same way. Um, but, I, you know, I missed it the first couple of years. I, don't, I, I missed the camaraderie and the fellowship I had with the broadcasters and the people you meet and the friendships you develop over 35 years, uh, you just don't throw them out the window. That's what I miss the most. And of course the competition and when you go to indoor stadium at Cameron and sit there and there's 8,000 people going nuts and you beat them, that's pretty nice. Then you go to <laughs> Chapel Hill and you beat Carolina, that's even nicer. And the Virginia, right. um, but you know, people smarter than I made that decision and it's worked out, it's worked out pretty good. Wanted to talk to you about not one of the greatest Maryland players of all time, but just one of the greatest college basketball players of all time. Len Bias, you got a chance to watch him play. 
Do you have a favorite Len Bias story? One that, you know, kind of your go-to Len, Lenny B story? Uh, probably the, I don't have a, a story about Len, but I've got a little, um, something that happened with Len and I. When, when he came to Maryland, I was at Northwestern when he signed his, uh, his deal to come to Maryland, got his scholarship. And then when we started off doing interviews with, with players, he was not a very good interview. He was very quiet, very shy, um, introverted, and didn't like to do interviews and felt uncomfortable. And he wasn't very good. And then I kept after him and I said, you know, after we do the interview, he said, that wasn't very good. I said, but that was fine. That was fine. It's okay. And so I kept after him and kept after him. And we did interview after interview. And by the time he got to be a senior, he was the best interview in the team because he got that confidence built that the more they talk, the more they interact, the better you're going to be. And there were, there were a lot of guys that were just like Len Bias. There were terrible interviews. And the media relations people said, well, can you stay with them and keep working with them and keep talking with them? And they got better and better and better all the time. And by the time he was a senior, he was, uh, he was the best, best interview on the team. And, and, you know, and, and, a, and a good guy. I mean, really a good guy. The mistake he made is tragic. Everybody knows that. Yeah. Tragic. And his mother still goes around giving speeches, you know, emphasizing the importance of do not do drugs. My son did it one time. Look what happened. It cost him his life. And she says he might be bigger in the afterlife than he was in the present life, you know, passing away for what he did. Um, but I have nothing but fond memories and great memories of him, the big smile on his face. And what a player, not only at a shooter, but a tremendous rebounder. You, you got to remember, he was about 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six, you know, about 215 or 220 and built like a, like a tank. And this guy could jump out of any arena and just a marvelous, marvelous player. There weren't a ton of silver linings during the whole main quarantine period, but ESPN showing a lot of classic games was one of them. And for the first time, I got to see in full – uh, the the bias Jordan duel yeah. and, and it was it was something to watch it was it was really incredible um, but transitioning out of that and there's no really easy way to transition out of out of a Len Bias story that's a great one you tell um, but people perceive what you do and what PJ and I hope to do one day as the national guys it's it's Nance it's Buck it's Eagle um, they don't really I feel like sometimes people don't realize that there are Johnny Holidays out there who are with a team for decades upon decades at every school and, and pro teams have this too. Um, what do you see as the main differences that you really enjoy as far as being with one team for that long, as opposed to being a guy who will be in one place one week and then another place another week? Uh, how, how great is it to, to build those relationships? Like you, you touched on a couple of times with the, uh, the Dustin Seminovics and with the Sean Allen B's and, and with the locals and, and, and stuff like that. Well, I've been on both sides of the fence. <clears throat> you know, I've done games for home team sports. I've done games for CBS. I've done national games, traveling to different venues. And the biggest difference is when you're working with one school and one team all the time, uh, you get more access to the players, to the coaches, to the fans, to the administrators. You know them so well. When you go and do a national game, uh, for example, Greg Manning was my analyst for Maryland basketball. So when Lefty Drizel took the job at James Madison and his first game was on television, 
he told the TV people, I want Johnny Holiday and Greg Manning to do my games. So we did his games. But you show up and all you're doing is taking a look at the media sheet that they put out with all the notes. You have no idea what went on in the week of practice. You have no idea about this player or that player or a nagging injury here or there. And it's, it's pretty tough when you just come in and do a game and leave. And the same for the Nationals. When Bob Carpenter would step away, I would step in and do the play-by-play. And you fly down to Miami, do a four-game series. You're looking at notes, but you're not with them all the time. There's a major plus, and I think a, a big advantage when one guy stays with one team for X amount of years. And there's a lot of guys who've been doing this longer than I have right now, still with that one team. And you become identified with them. Uh, a lot of people watch the game on television, turn the sound down, because they want to hear what the local guy has to say. Um, and that, that's a real nice feather, I think, in all of our caps, uh, all the guys that do one school. When somebody comes up to you and say, hey, you know, we turn the sound down, not for you, of course, but we turn the sound <laughs> down, and then we, we listen to you guys on the radio. That's the best compliment you can have. Sure. And Johnny, we like to do two final segments with all our guests. Before we get into that, just one more question for you. Besides being the voice of the Terps, as you kind of mentioned, you do Nationals as well. You got to cover the World Series team last year. What are you going to remember most about that team? I remember most about the team, the fact that in May, April or May or June, I think everybody was asking for Davey Martinez's head on a platter. Yes. And, we, and the odds were, is he going to make the is he going to make the Fourth of July? Is he going to make the All Star game? Mm-hmm. No, because the record was so bad. And all of a sudden, here there's some magic that Davey Martinez had, and he'd never won a World Series before. You know, first time as a manager, and for some reason everything clicked, and it reminded me an awful lot about the 2002 Maryland National Championship basketball team that Gary Williams had. There was no all-stars in the team. There was no high school All-Americans on the team. They were just guys that blended together and believed that they could win. And the more the Nationals won as they turned things around in the second half of the year, the more you win, the more confidence you get. Then all of a sudden, you think you're unbeatable. You can beat anybody. Mm -hmm. And that's what I'll remember most about those guys. And the guys in that team with Strasburg and Scherzer, and Rendon, I mean, you could just go down the list. Turner, uh, the, the Aiton, they had so many guys step up and just perform in crucial situations like it was routine, like it was no big deal. And it's very tough to repeat, as you're seeing right now, and they won't make the playoffs, and there'll be a rebuilding year next year for the ball club with a lot of unfamiliar faces on this team next year. When I was there uh, at Maryland, the Capitals won a Stanley Cup. The Nationals won a World Series. And I'm, a, I'm a Mets fan and a Rangers fan, so I got to be there uh, for both, <laughs> of, those, yeah. both of those and, uh, and, and be a part of the run. And it was, it was really fun to see everybody else celebrating and yeah, know that maybe cool. one day, maybe one day for, for my teams, we'll get there. But um, <laughs> we don't want to take up too much of time. As PJ mentioned, the two final segments we like to do. Uh, one is called the Swift Seven, just seven rapid-fire questions. And then PJ's got a trivia question for you, so I'll start it off. Uh, number one, favorite stadium to broadcast a game from outside of the Xfinity Center or Capital One Stadium? Uh, I'd say in football, probably um, 
in football. I got to go back 42 years now, guys. <laughs> favorite stadium in football, probably, uh, you're not going to believe this, Wallace Wade Stadium in Durham for Duke. Because okay. you're close. Also, Georgia Tech, you're close to the field. You're not too high. You can see numbers. You can see yard markers, everything. I'd say those two. Okay. All right. Uh, now yeah. let's put you on the spot. Favorite analyst you've worked with? Favorite analyst uh, in football? Uh, I've had a lot of them in football. Uh, probably my buddy Jerry Sandusky up there in Baltimore, who does the Ravens. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people don't remember. He was the analyst with me on Maryland football for about three years until his son got ill. And he backed away and spent more time with his family. And in basketball, uh, I've only had three. Uh, and you're putting a lot of pressure on me now. <laughs> I would have to say probably the first guy, Greg Manning. Okay. Because Greg played at Maryland. He was a Maryland guy. And he bled, you know, the colors of the school. And he was so good. And started with no experience. And the thing I liked most about Greg is how well he progressed from an analyst to become an athletic director at Georgia State and now giving basketball camps around the country. Yeah, Greg would be my favorite. Now, favorite athlete you've covered, whether it's at Maryland or the Nationals or elsewhere? Favorite athlete? Uh, Gio Gonzalez. Okay, interesting one. For the Nationals, yeah. Personable. No, go ahead, go ahead. Articulate, personable, from Hialeah, Florida, outside of Miami. Always a smile, always available to do anything. Uh, I would say he'd be one of my favorites. All right. Now, favorite game day tradition you've experienced, again, whether a Maryland tradition or an opposing venue? Favorite game day tradition. Uh, I think probably when Ralph Region was here and they'd park the buses and walk down behind the stadium, the football team and Ralph trudging along and the fans waving, the fans shaking hands him pumping his fist as he got ready for the game and coming behind the stadium and winding around to the Gossett team house. I'd call that one of the most favorite. What's your favorite Maryland game that you've ever gotten a call besides the 2002 title game? Favorite Maryland game? Probably, um, probably the game that Joe Smith had 41 points against Duke in Cameron Indoor Stadium. And I think that might have been the game when Gary was in the hospital with pneumonia and Billy Hahn coached and Mike Krzyzewski had a bad back and the assistant coach coached for Duke. Oh, wow. And, and before the game, they're warming up and I walked past Joe Smith and I said, you'll probably get 35 tonight. You got 41. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. What is your favorite college town besides College Park? Uh, I'd say Chapel Hill. Okay. Love Chapel Hill. Madison, Wisconsin, University of Wisconsin. Oh, yeah. I loved it there. Joe yeah. loves that one, yeah. yeah. I love that one. <laughs> and you thought I was going to say Piscataway, New Jersey, huh? <laughs> oh, no, not at all. <laughs> my, no, brother, my brother goes there now. No way. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no They're way. nice, but not Chapel Hill. No. Not I, at all. Not at and all. And then, Johnny, last question of the Swift 7 for you. If you weren't a broadcaster, what job do you think you would have? I think I'd probably be uh, in theater okay. or teaching. I wanted to go to school to coach, and I wanted to go to school to teach. Uh, if I wasn't doing this, and I got in this strictly by accident anyhow, 
I'd be probably coaching or teaching. And then I got into theater back about 45 years ago. And I really love theater a lot. And I've done like 25 different musicals. And I'd probably be doing that. But I like what I'm doing so far. It, it's, it's worked, worked out. out. It's worked say, out okay, yeah. All I'd right. say it's worked out for you. Uh, Johnny, so we end all our interviews with the trivia question. We got a good one for you, of course, Maryland base. So we give all our guests 90 seconds, and then we'll give you three strikes to try and get it. <laughs> all right. So your question is, who are the last four teams that Maryland basketball has played in the first round of the NCAA tournament? The last four teams in the first round. Correct. Oh, man. Correct. Of the NCAA tournament. Yep. Uh, okay. I'm going back to Jacksonville. And I think, was it Belmont? It was. Yes, that, was, is that is correct. Okay. Correct. That is one. <clears throat> oh, man. I, I, I'll never be able to get this. Let's, <laughs> go, let's go back the next year. Uh, the NCAA tournament. Uh, nope, you got me on that. I, I can't. <laughs> All right, so you got Belmont, which was good. And then 2018, they did not make the tournament. 2017, they lost to Xavier. I believe that was down in Orlando where they lost to them. Wow. And then 2016, they beat South Dakota State with Mike Dom. And then, that was in Seattle, right? Uh, that was, yes, yeah, Seattle-Spokane, I believe. I believe it was so. Yeah, Spokane, yeah. Spokane. Yeah. And then the year before that, they beat Valparaiso with Varun Ram. Oh, yeah. Knocking the ball out of the guy's hand. Oh, my Lord. Yeah. So those. Now, those I, now ask me the question again. I'll give you. <laughs> <laughs> just, like, just like your six years of high school with honors. We'll give you a couple exactly, more tracks at Exactly. Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> so those are uh, the last. That, that's great. That's great. Yeah, well, I, did, I did nail Belmont. There you go. <laughs> did nail Belmont. That was, a, that was a hell of a game. Um, that was. Yeah, they had D- Dylan Windler, the lefty for Belmont. That was the game when Jalen had that big dunk that rattled everybody and, and made it yeah. into the one-shining moment video. And, and Belmont had that great coach who retired after that year. Yes. He did. Now, yeah, Johnny, do you have a favorite March Madness venue that you've called uh, a game in, like one of the NFL stadiums or one of the college campuses? Is there one that sticks out to you? Um... I, I tell you, I enjoyed going up to Camden Yards, it, it to not Camden Yards, to the Memorial Stadium when Maryland played Clemson and Penn State and those teams up in Baltimore for football. Uh, favorite venue? Um, I love going to Florida State. Okay. They have a very nice arena. They have the best Sunday brunch of any place. <laughs> As you know, press box food is so important, oh, and that's a good one. <laughs> but you know what? We, well, like, we played there on a Sunday, and maybe 5,000 people showed up for a game. And I asked, I said, Where, where's all the people? I mean, you, you guys are playing well. They're at the baseball game. The baseball game drew like 10,000. Baseball outdrew basketball. Wow. But they got a buffet. They got a guy slicing <laughs> the ham. They got a guy <laughs> making, I mean, making, what do you want, scrambled eggs? A chef, the guy with a white hat and the whole thing there, yeah. and eat, and you go through that line, and then they show the desserts are over there, the ice creams are over here, your salads are over here. Best of any place was Florida State. Incredible. That's awesome. Yeah. Incredible. Johnny, before we let you go, because just because you teased it yourself, 
Uh, you said you got this job by accident. What was the accident? Well, the accident was I, I went to visit my grandfather, a little tiny town called Unadilla, Georgia. And I had been entered into a disc jockey contest by my best buddy as a joke. He sends my name in. I get the letter of response from the radio station in Miami. It says, thank you for your interest. In I, didn't, I didn't apply for any contest. And my father says, I bet you Donnie Lewis did that. I said, that son of a gun, I bet you he did. I'm going to go through with it. So I go down to this radio station, and you're playing some records, reading some commercials. And I'm like 17 years old. I have no idea what I'm doing. I don't win the contest. And then I did a couple of other jobs. And my grandfather says, why don't you come up and live with me? He had a drugstore, the only drugstore in town. You can work in my drugstore. I'll give you 40 bucks a week. And you can pitch with the Unadilla baseball team, a little semi-pro baseball league they had of all little tiny, small Georgia towns. So I did that. So one day in my grandfather's drugstore, this guy's trying to sell him some time from the radio station up in Perry, Georgia, 18 miles away. And my grandfather says, hey, I want you to meet my grandson. He's a disc jockey. Come here, John. So I, the guy says, really? I'm looking for somebody from my station. I said, I'm your guy. Had no experience at all. I go up the next day. I read some copy. He says, you want to start on Monday? I'll give you 32 bucks a week. So I tell my grandfather, I got some bad news. I'm quitting the job. I got one for less money. 18 miles away. I'm a district. That's how I started. Wow. Yeah. There you go. That is pretty 60, awesome. 64 years ago. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, when uh, I was well, four years old. <laughs> it sparked a hell of a run. So thank goodness your sure friend is. entered you. Oh, yeah. at, uh, in thank that, God at for the your podcast. buddy that entered you in that <laughs> to get that. That's, That's awesome. right. That's right. Yeah. Hey, you know, I've always told people, as you guys know, it's not talent. It's right place at yep. the right time. And you being able to take advantage of the opportunity. When the door opens, Absolutely. you either go in or it gets slammed in your face. So No doubt. Yeah, well, Johnny – we appreciate you joining us. We know you're super busy now with the return of football. Great. Good luck on your call this season. Thank you. You'll do a great job as always. It was great getting to talk to you and uh, stay healthy and stay safe. Okay, PJ. And listen, if you're down there in Florida, stop by Jones Stonecrab, okay? Jones Stone, will do. I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll do it for sure. It's great seeing you as always. It's been it's been far too long since December 19th, and, and it's good to see <laughs> well, your face you again. You remember that, don't you? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> I remember you sitting next to me in the bus, yeah. Yep, yep. Yep, and I found so. out my wallet was missing, and I came looking for you. <laughs> <laughs> and thank you guys very much for the thank time. Thank you. Thank you, Johnny. Yep. Take thank care. you. Take care. Take care. Once again, the voice of the Maryland Terrapins, Joe. I'm sure it had to be nice seeing Johnny Holiday again. As you were telling them, you guys were uh, were on the bus together it's, heading to Minnesota. It's, I mean, it's it's almost a year ago from now. A couple of weeks from now, it'll be a year ago. Yeah, we, the whole, from the hotel to the stadium that day when we got walloped by the Golden Gophers, we, we were on the bus together that day. And um, just one of those little things that now, you know, I feel like, like we said, we you know, took for granted in the moment, little things like that that were taken for granted back then. But that bus ride to the stadium, probably gone for him. He's probably going to travel alone. Yeah. If he even travels, like right. you said, he might have to call off a monitor. So um, little things like that we took for granted, but looking back on it now, those are, you know, those are little, the little things that make a college football and traveling as special as they are. Like those, 
those couple nights in, uh, <laughs> in in Minneapolis for us. I can't remember too much of it, but it was a lot of fun. And uh, <laughs> and it's those parts of the trips of of people who work for college football teams and not the players. They got their meetings and stuff, and they're kind of in the hotel. But uh, for for all the employees, those are the fun things that that you right. know, that aren't going to happen this year, and it sucks. But you know, it is twenty twenty. We'll get back to those hopefully next year and the year after. But uh, a lot of fun. It was great to see him and. Um, you know, like he said, uh, uh, it's, it's, he's gotten a lot of golf in, he's gotten a lot of other things running and stuff, but I don't know that he would, he would catch the shambo on the golf course. <laughs> I, I don't think many are now. I don't think he would. And I love that we do the Swift seven with all our guests because it really tackles so many different, you know, topics and Johnny holiday was like, yeah, I kind of lucked into this broadcast. Oh, we had thing. to unravel that. And I'm glad you asked him. And he told us that story that, that, I mean, right place, right time. You really talk about the definition and here he is 40 years later, like he said, and it's, it's pretty, out of prank, prank from his friend. It's crazy. It really is kind of crazy. There's so many stories like that in the business where yeah. it's like, this is not where they thought they were going to end up. I, you know, I've heard the story of Joe Davis and the, the, the too long don't read version of it is, uh, he happened to be calling games for the Montgomery Biscuits, minor league baseball. Producer at ESPN had broken his leg and was home in that area to, to recover. Went onto the website to buy a Montgomery Biscuits hat because it's got a biscuit on the hat. That's cool. And he saw the listen live link, clicked it, happened to be Joe Davis. Joe Davis became Joe Davis because that producer broke his leg, was home in the area, and wanted a Biscuits hat. So you never know. You absolutely never know. That's and, true. Well, and, if there's so, any ESPN producer at home who broke their leg listening to the Glass and Joe <laughs> podcast, we appreciate it. And we hope you're enjoying this episode. Um, Johnny Holiday, as you mentioned, he's the voice of the Terps. He also did national stuff when they won the World Series last year, Joe. And if you can already believe it, like you said, there's so much going on. There's hockey, there's basketball, football, and sure enough, we're a month away from October. Baseball is on the horizon. Not even a month away. We're seven days from October, PJ. It's September 24th. Well, that's what I meant. We're a week away. <laughs> a month away, a week away. Um, and Time is relative in, in, in this year. It Time is. is. very relative. Teams are starting to clinch their divisions. We had Tampa clinch the East last night. The Dodgers, for the eighth year in a row, have clinched the West, the Cubs. And none of it matters. None. And none of it matters. Because clinching the division, all it does is give them their choice of opponent in a three-game series, which you better win game one because you lose game one, and now all of a sudden the Dodgers, for all the good they've done this year, will be back Fighting against for the their wall and have to win two games in a row. That's exactly um, right. But such is the playoffs in 2020, and hopefully not beyond yeah. that because Rob Manfred has already talked about keeping it this way, and oh, my God, that is going to – When Rob go Manfred away. has an idea, he should just do the opposite of what like he – It's you like my say. bets. Exactly. <laughs> He'll be a great commissioner if he does that. <laughs> um, well, we'll have, a, we'll have a much bigger baseball preview, obviously, next week. When as far we as the postseason goes. The seedings are, absolutely. But, Joe, definitely have to talk a little NFL. We are two uh, games now completed into the season. And it was incredible. We were talking about before the Monday night game, every favorite, if you would have just bet them on the money line, not against the spread, Every favorite won on Sunday except for the Eagles. That line was kind of swinging each that line way. Was cocky because, yeah, like I, we, when we were talking about this stat, I had seen it that favorites were 15 and 0 because in a lot of places the Rams were the favorites. Right. So that right. was a really wacky line depending on the book. So depending on the book, 14 and 1 or 15 and 0 heading into Monday night. 
and then it changed. Then it Knock changed. Knock on wood if you're with me, Pete. That's <laughs> exactly right. And, um, I mean, was that your biggest takeaway, was just how the Saints looked without – was that game for you more about how the Raiders looked or how the Saints looked? Both is a cop-out answer, but it's the answer because the Saints really look like a totally different team without Michael Thomas. Drew Brees couldn't throw the ball more than 20 yards down the field. Yeah. Uh, curious to see how that looks this week as they're home against the Packers and might again be without Michael Thomas. He's questionable. The Raiders, though, John Gruden, if you saw the video of them in the locker room afterwards, they're fired up. That team has totally bought into him, rallied around him. Derek Carr has become what I think Sam Darnold's going to become. That's that overlooked quarterback who has a bad rap because he had, you know, bad situation around him. But let's not forget, before he broke his leg a few years ago, he was one of the front runners to win league MVP. And Mm -hmm. Then he broke the leg. The following year, he was admittedly gun-shy, bad offensive line, had the, the leg break in the back of his mind. This year, looks like a totally different quarterback under John Gruden. They got him some weapons. Darren Waller from the Ravens practice squad to the Oakland Raiders, Las Vegas Raiders, is incredible. Yep. And Josh Jacobs, Bama boy, is a bona fide bell One of my back. favorite, one of my favorite players. Joe, they beat the Saints without two of their starting linemen. They were down by Cognito got hurt. They were down by 10 twice, 10 nothing, and 17-7. And then they, after 17-7, they just go on a tear and, and ended up winning it from that point on 27-7. Uh, to 7. Look, so. we talked about it. The AFC West, we thought this year would be a Chiefs runaway. but It'll still Justin, be a Chiefs runaway. It will, but with the way Justin Herbert looked in his first game. Another one to pump about, the brakes on, though. That one, that, that got a lot of... That got a lot of energy this week. That's another one for me to pump the brakes on. And still, even after this upcoming week, take this one with a grain of salt because they're playing the Panthers. Five minutes before the game, unfortunately, with the whole fiasco where the doctor messed up the injection of Tyrod Taylor punctured his lung. So you're going up against the Chiefs defense that's mediocre at best, totally reliant on the offense, obviously, the Kansas City Chiefs. So you're going up against a defense that's already pretty mediocre, a defense that had all week been preparing for Tyrod Taylor and a pretty vanilla offense that is run when Tyrod Taylor's the quarterback. And all of a sudden, five minutes before kickoff, it's Justin Herbert and a totally different offensive package. And the Chiefs early on couldn't figure it out. They adjusted to it already, though, in the second half as the game wore on. And the numbers inflated for Herbert just a tad. If you look at his passing chart for the day, he completed six passes behind the line of scrimmage as whether design screens or just check downs. And those six passes went for, I think it was 83 yards. Uh, so from his 311 total, take away 83 yards as, you know, QB friendly uh, check down design screens that guys like Eckler and, and those guys just happen to take into big gains. So numbers inflated. Uh, the situation really favored him over the Chiefs. And again, they came on late, the defense of the Chiefs. Uh, this week he's playing the Panthers, which is just a god-awful defense. But he's good. I mean, he looked good. He, he, he looked good. And, and this is not me saying this just because I had him ranked as the lower of the first-round quarterbacks this year and me trying to make myself look right. I'm just trying to – I always try to avoid, after the first couple of weeks, all of the scorching hot takes, like that Josh Allen is a league MVP candidate. No, Josh Allen played the Jets and the Dolphins, and he lit it up, yes, but – Pump the brakes on that. He's, you still saw the couple fumbles he had against the Jets. He's still yeah, Josh Allen. That and, I'm with you on. And, and you know, for, for 
it's, it's people pick and choose when they want to buy into PFF grades. You know, it, it's obviously become a big thing on Sunday night football. They put the PFF grades when they do the starting lineups teams, but in the PFF grades this week, Sam Darnold in his barely 200 yard performance against the Niners was the sixth ranked quarterback. Josh Allen was behind him, which just goes to show you that once you put on the tape and you go through it all, uh, his numbers were, again, they, they were gaudy, but he didn't necessarily have that kind of day. And my boy, Sam Darnold, like he doesn't have the numbers because he's got no talent, but he's still great. So uh, it's, it's there are certain things like that. I want to pump the brakes on after two weeks and Justin Herbert's one of them. Uh, but yeah, something to keep an eye on what Justin Herbert looks like. Cause it doesn't seem like Tyrod's coming back soon. Now, it was just impressive to me, like you said, that he knew he was going to be starting five minutes beforehand yeah. and it play as well as he did. Yeah. I, you know I'm with you. I thought Herbert was extremely overrated coming out of college. You can't tell much Look, from one he game. He seems like a great kid, but so I hope I he was, succeeds. Yes. Same thing with Josh Allen. Hope he succeeds, uh, but just, you know. I was, I was just impressed that you're playing the defending Super Bowl champs in your first game in a new stadium – with your team just all being shocked that Tyrod's not starting, you run out there, and they, they should have won that game. Also, Anthony Lynn, how do you not go for it on that fourth down in overtime? And on top of that, Harrison Butker making a run for your boy Justin Tucker. <laughs> uh, you ain't lying. Well, I tweeted out. I People, said, everybody wants to talk Lamar Mahomes. We yeah. got Tucker and Butker coming hey, up yep, on Monday yep. night. He hit it not once, not twice, but three, three times. He hit the 53-yarder, false start. Hit the 58-yarder. Timeout. 58-yarder win. Three kicks. Down the middle. It wasn't like off the post. Same spot. Um, The two games that I wanted to talk to you about in week two before we look ahead to week three, got to talk about Dallas-Atlanta. The stupidity on that onside. Joe, I know you suffer a lot as a Jets fan. The Falcons give you a run for your money. I mean, they They don't. First of all. They really do. (laughs) Well, they haven't had the Super Bowl, the 28-3, first of all. And then... I mean, that Cowboys game, you, you just – I flipped over to the Ravens game because it was starting as that onside kick was going on. So and one my of my friend, coworkers is a Cowboys fan, and I saw him in the hallway. Unbeknownst to me, because I was calling my game, I got out of my game, I happened to see the score at halftime. I was like, oh, the Cowboys aren't coming back. Saw the score like right when my game ended, Cowboys were still down by 15 late. <laughs> then I see him in the hallway and I do the Falcons dirty bird to like mock him. And he's like, you didn't see we won. I'm like, no way. You're, you're absolutely just joking with me right now. And he pulled out his phone. He's like, no, 40 to 30. I'm like, Oh my God, what happened? And I saw what happened. And that onside kick was the most unbelievable thing. I, I can't, I can't believe it. Like I, I know that you're, that team hands teams are somewhat coached to, you know, if they don't think the ball is going to make it 10 yards, let it go. I mean, like, there's nothing that could hurt you. It's going to die, and, and they're going to get called for legal touching. But sometimes that teaching works against the teams because sometimes the ball has just enough gas on it to get to that 10-yard mark, yep. and then that happens. Real quick take from you, just real quick. If the trends continue, which coach gets fired first? Patricia? Adam Gase. Mike's or Gase? Okay. Adam Gase. Okay. Adam Gase has to be. Uh, the Jets have never done it. <laughs> Just have never fired a coach mid-year. All streaks are going to come to an end. Uh, Quinn, they've made it this far. Uh, Patricia, I think he'll probably make it through the year because the Lions don't necessarily have playoff aspirations. It's between Gase and Quinn for me. Gase because it's a total dumpster fire, and they're going to get blown out by the Colts this week. And God forbid they lose on Thursday night to the Broncos with a backup quarterback. 
because he will get canned after that game mm-hmm. um, on national TV at home against a team with a backup quarterback. So if they lose that game, and if they lose it big, forget it. But Quinn, on the other hand, this Falcons team was a lot of people's dark horse contender. And they're all that way every year. They are. They are. But for good reason, because you've seen what the well, offense, offense put up. is outstanding. The defense is the problem. And right, the right. Coach. So I could see it being Quinn over Gase just because the Falcons still are that team that could make a run because the offense is so stellar. So might they make a change to, to jolt that defense? I could see that happening. I'll still go with Gase. There's a protest organized today. It starts, we're recording this. Uh, in the early afternoon on Thursday, there's a protest organized outside of one Jets drive for 1 p.m. to fire Adam Gase. I'm not kidding. I'm not making that up. Oh, I'm That's, sure there is. I saw it on Twitter before. There's, it's organized. It's set to happen. So when you, when you look at that, if you're the Johnsons, you can't – I mean – How does ownership look at that guy and think, yeah, he's, he's what's best for our team? The best thing I saw this week was uh, his quote was, you know, the plays are there. It's just not being executed, which, first of all, for a coach as bad as that, you can't throw your players under the bus like that. You're just asking for trouble. Um, but somebody responded to that, <laughs> and it said, it finally makes sense now as to why his offense worked with Peyton Manning. Maybe his plays are fine. He just doesn't know how to call them. So when Peyton Manning was audible in the different ones, it worked. <laughs> it's very <laughs> true. Two and two together. It's very it all, true. It the other game, um, that's Sunday night game, New England-Seattle. Cam's back, if we already Cam's didn't back. know. And uh, Russell Wilson's pretty damn good at football. Russell Wilson is incredible. and <laughs> he, He's pretty good. He, he is, he is going to uh, make people pay for having never given him an MVP vote this year. Damn and right. DK Metcalf's right star. Usually when you have combine standouts like that, they don't pan out because he couldn't run around in college. When you're that athletic a freak, you just run deep. Exactly. And he's done that in the pros. He's worked on his route running and – I mean, when you score a 50-yard touchdown on Stephon Gilmore, you're, you're doing pretty okay. So, not too bad. Week three, Joe. I mean, it's the game of the year. Chiefs-Ravens. I'm a little bit excited. Um, I'm kind of fired up. We got a lot of great games, though. That is obviously the headliner. I can't wait for Packers-Saints. Cowboys-Seahawks will be a good one. Texans-Steelers will be a good one. The Raiders-Patriots. You want to see if the Raiders can carry that into Fox. There's yeah. a lot of good games. Outside of Ravens Chiefs, before we talk about that one, which one are you most intrigued by? So this week, like you said, there's a lot this week. Uh, I could go Eagles, Bengals, just because Joe Burrow's been phenomenal. Carson Wentz is not. Can the Eagles actually be legit? Same thing with the same thing with the Vikings. Zero and two at home against the Titans, must win game for them. Um, there's a couple of those games on the schedule that really stick out. Uh, but the the obvious answer here, outside of you know Chiefs, Ravens, Packers, Saints on Sunday night is the 425 game of the week on Fox, Cowboys-Seahawks. That is an incredible matchup offensively. We saw the Seahawks and Cowboys both pour it on the Falcons in weeks one and two. Um, They're going up against each other. Haven't seen much out of the Seahawks defense. Not really the vaunted Seahawks defense of old. They're more of an offensive team now, as we've seen with Russell Wilson throwing touchdown after touchdown after touchdown after touchdown. And for the Cowboys on the other side, same thing. The offense clicking on all cylinders. And that is going to be a shootout in Seattle. And it's going to be a fun one. Um, we have a really good slate for Survivor Pool. Tough slate this week. Very tough. Uh, next week as well. I mean, this week the Colts are the obvious pick. Um, next, week, next, next week is, is tougher. There's only three games that really stuck out next week. But 
Um, things are starting to get tighter there. And as you look around the league, aside from the Jets, there, there really aren't any um, just left for dead teams that you look at and say, picking against them every week in Survivor. So uh, there's, there's a lot – with that being said, there's a lot of really – even matchups that aren't too glamorous, there's intrigue. And that's what makes week three so good in addition to all those matchups that we said. Right. Um, Take even a Washington football team against the Browns, like some intrigue around the Washington football team. Rams-Bills, to me, is a sneaky good game. 2-0 and teams. The Rams, I told you how much I like them at the start of the season. They're really starting to pick up some scene. And here comes Buffalo again, kind of just not flashy, go about it their own way. Like you said, they've played the Jets and Dolphins to start the year. People aren't sold on them yet. They're favored by two, which is definitely one of those dangerous spreads when a home team's only favored by two. But I do like the Bills this week. I think their defense at home. Um, Sean McVay's play calling to start the season has been sensational. Oh, yeah. But I just think the Bills are going to make the Rams one-dimensional. Their run defense is very good. Their pass defense is solid. And golf is just one of those quarterbacks that outdoors, I don't like him. I don't know why, especially when he goes to the East Coast. I was surprised how well he played against Philly last week. I, I don't know if he can put two games in a row together. But for me, I think that's my favorite game of the 1 o'clock window. Uh, the 1 o'clock window, yeah. No, for sure. I mean, the other one that sticks out for me at 1 o'clock, you mentioned Vegas against New England. But Steelers-Texans, yeah. also another solid one at 1 o'clock. But Bills-Ram, for sure, will be the one that I uh, have on. And um Cowboys, Seahawks, I mean, that over is 56. We're about to talk best bets in a little bit, yeah. but uh, I'm sure you were thinking about that one for a little bit. A little um, bit. But That's a big number, though, so I stayed away from yeah. it. So. Joe, this week three slate, though, I mean, from 425 on to Monday night. Oh, um, incredible. Just sensational. And then Jeez. it all goes away on the following Thursday when you get Jets brought. <laughs> That's true. Um, Ravens, Chiefs, though, I, I, I really – do like the Ravens. I think there was a lot of look ahead from the Chiefs last week against the Chargers. I think they just thought they could walk in there. And... Cool. So I feel good about my pick then that I do have the Chiefs in that game. Okay. The Ravens. So, uh, not, um, not, one my, not one of my best bets, but I do have the Chiefs in that game personally. Um, it's going to be a good matchup. I don't uh, – Chiefs as a dog – I mean, that's, that's the thing, though. Everybody's so going to look at that and be like, I can make plus money with Mahomes. Absolutely. He has not played Baltimore yet on the road. And this obviously isn't a true road game because yeah. there's no fans. The Chiefs have had Lamar's number so far. That could change, but. Uh... I mean, he's played well against them. Their defense just hasn't stopped the explosive plays. And that's what you have to do against the Chiefs. You have to make them work their way. They're going to score. Yeah. But you can't give up the 60-yard bombs to Hardeman and um, Hill, and that's what they haven't been able to stop so far. So as long as they're able to make the Chiefs work their way down the field, they're so well built to beat the Chiefs because of how they run the ball and how they can chew clock and limit possessions for Mahomes. So but it's going to be we learned last year. What we learned last year in the postseason is that when teams try to chew clock on the Chiefs, it doesn't matter because they could score in 45 seconds. So, yeah, but the yeah, Ravens are different than those other the Ravens, teams are. The Ravens the could take – the Ravens could get the opening kickoff and the Ravens could go on a 12-minute and 30-second drive and score a touchdown, and it'll still be 7-7 at the end of the first quarter. Probably will be. It prob- <laughs> but, again, the Ravens are so good playing with the lead. If Lamar oh. doesn't throw that pick that goes off Mark Andrews' hands they and are. the Titans they game, are. they Flip win side. that game. They win Flip that side. game. Flip side, as good as they are playing with the lead, 
behind, right, Patrick they're Mahomes, not good. Patrick Mahomes has tied the NFL record for most wins in a row when trailing by 10 points. He has that is, won his last six too. games when trailing right. by 10 points. Well, that's what makes it such a good matchup, especially if the Ravens jump on them first because both teams are playing where they're comfortable. The Ravens exactly. from ahead, the Chiefs from behind. So that'll be interesting to see if the Ravens get off to a good start. Looking forward to that one. All right, Joe, it is time for Best Bets. You Best are- Bets for me. Worst bets for you. I mean, you're really talking a lot of smack. I hope you go on five this week. I probably um, will. I probably will. So you are seven three, Joe. You do the honors. What is your fifth best bet of the week? So my fifth, my fifth best bet, and you're going to see this as a recurring theme. I love playing something on Thursday night. So my fifth best bet of the week is probably always going to be something on a Thursday night. Uh, and tonight, it is the over forty eight in Jacksonville, Miami. Forty eight is a nice number where you've always got a shot at a push. That's you get 42 on the touchdowns, a field goal each, 48. So uh, it's always a good push number to have. And on top of that, uh, usually you tend to want to maybe say under when it comes to a Thursday game because, you know, short week and, and whatnot. But what we've seen from both the Dolphins and Jaguars so far has been anything but that. Their offenses have clicked. Uh, neither team really has a defense. So this is probably a, a, a South Florida shootout tonight where – I could see this game ending like 34-28 Jaguars, something like that. And, and again, like I said last week, whenever I'm looking at a, at a total, um, I like to give my score prediction for the game first before I even look at the total. And if my score prediction for the game ends up being a, roughly a touchdown away from the total, I, I definitely jump on it. Um, I usually will play the total if my final score prediction is like four total points away because that's enough of a buffer. Yeah. But – I went. I looked at it and I said 34-28 Jaguars, and that's 62. The total's 48. So my score prediction, without even looking at the over/under, was 14 points away from the total. Mm. Um, so I'll go over 48. And it's, you know, you talk about the Jags, man. Gardner Minshew's not getting enough love for what not he's doing. And he's really been excellent. My f- number five game of the week, Joe. Week three in the NFL is my favorite week to bet. I'm going to tell everybody right now, you take every 0-2 team this week. Mm. There are nine games involving 0-2 teams, if you don't include the Bengals-Eagles. There's nine games involving 0-2 teams where they're playing a team that's either 1-1 or 2-0. Bet all the 0-2 teams, and at least five of the games will win because week three, they're so desperate. One of those 0-2 teams, the Vikings this week, I told you how much I love the Colts last week because of how they looked against the Jags. I know that people would be on Minnesota thinking the Colts stink. The Vikings looked terrible last week against the Colts. We've seen the the Packers might be a pretty good team. They might have their offense figured out. So you take that one away. The Colts, they just weren't good last week. The Titans could have lost that game to the Jags. There are a lot of people on them right now. Minnesota's getting points at home as an 0-2 team. I like the Vikes on the money line. What's your number? All right. Well, now I really don't like my fourth pick because of your track record because my fourth pick was also Vikings money. Oh, yep. That's the Titans <laughs> this week. Okay. Uh, my, my fourth pick is also Vikings money line. Same reasons you said. 0-2. I think they're better than the record indicates. Even though they haven't looked it, I think they'll hit their stride. Do or, not do or die, but pretty much a must-win game for them. Titans haven't really impressed me. They squeaked by Denver on the road. They squeaked by the Jaguars at home. 
And now they're going on the road against Minnesota, a team that's going to be desperate for a win. 2-0 team against an 0-2 team. Going with the 0-2 Vikings, money line, same like you. Beautiful. My number four, again, you know I love betting teams where everybody's dumping them the week before and then betting them the following week. The Saints at home, minus three. The Packers could not have played any better than they played the first two weeks. The Saints could not have looked really much worse on offense, especially Breeze last week. You got so many people talking about, oh, are they thinking about putting Jamison? Is Drew Breeze done? Michael Thomas probably won't play this week. I expect Sean Payton to go back to the drawing board, feature a lot of Taysom Hill this week, a lot of Kamara, and the Saints at home in prime time. If they win by a field goal, you get a push. I think they win by about a touchdown. I got Saints minus three over Green Bay. So that game is not part of my picks. I do have the Packers until I hear about Michael Thomas. Um, but we'll see. Not, not part of my best bets, but I do personally have the Packers just uh, throwing that out there. My third pick of the week, um, <laughs> PJ, <laughs> there is no number too big when it comes to the New York Jets. My third pick of the week really? is, the Indian, is the Indianapolis Colts minus 11 and a half. Oh, Joe, that's a <laughs> lot of wood to lay, it's man. It's a lot. I don't know. It's a lot. I don't care. The Colts <laughs> minus 11 and a half. Um, I mean, the Colts team looked really good last week against the Vikings. The Jets are just horrible. I know, they, but 11 and a half. So, I mean, PJ, the number's not big enough. The number's not big enough. It opened, PJ, it opened at seven and a half. It's at 11 and a half. Oh, I understand it's not, that. It's, it's jumped it's that still, much. It's still not a big enough line. This should, have, this should be a two-touchdown line. Um, the Jets are still going to be without all of their receivers. Uh, Chris Hogan, Braxton Berrios were the two guys last week. Hogan's questionable with cracked ribs. Hopefully the Chargers doctor isn't out there to help him out. And <laughs> on top of that, uh, they're missing Van Roten from the interior of the offensive line. Mekhi Beckton's a stud, separate note. But um, the Colts are a good team. They had their little scare at lost against the Jaguars. They came back, got right against the Vikings. They're home again. The Jets are ridiculously banged up. Adam Gase is on the verge of getting fired. This should be a two-touchdown line. It's not. Give me the Colts, even though it's 11-and-a-half. It's not a big enough number. PJ, I'll tell you what. This number could have been up to 16-and-a-half, and that's when I would have considered it because this is probably a three-touchdown Colts win. If not three touchdowns, it's 17 points. I would have considered this all the way up to 16-and-a-half, which is why I'm comfortable with it at 11-and-a-half. Trusted Phillip Rivers with 11-and-a-half. That's yes. dangerous. That's it's the New York Jets and Adam Gase. I, I know my team. PJ, I know my you team. You do. You do. Fair. All right. <laughs> my number three, I told you it's my favorite college game of the week. I absolutely love Army. Joe, the last three times, Army has been two touchdown dogs. We're against Air Force. They lost by four. Michigan, when they were 22-point yeah, dogs. overtime. They should have won that game. And then the Oklahoma game, when they took Overtime as over. well. Both of them went to overtime. Army, they love this spot. I can't believe Cincinnati is this big of favorites. I mean, um, Cincinnati plays Navy every year, so they're used to the wishbone. But, man, not the way Army plays it. They're going to choose so much clock. And you just wonder if Cincinnati will get enough possessions to beat them by two touchdowns. That's the part that gets me. Love Army, plus 13.5, plus 14. I got it at 14. Right now it's 13.5, so that'll be the number that I post either way. Love the Golden Knights this week. Joe, you're number two. So, interestingly, I don't actually have any college 
this week, by the way. I looked at this late. wasn't really too keen on anything, so I'll leave the college stuff to you this week. That'll change next week mm-hmm. as the schedule kind of uh, gets to be a bit more intriguing in, in the college slate. So my second game of the week, I uh, going into that uh, – back into that 1 o'clock slate in the NFL yes. and back to the theme of teams that are 0-2 – the Falcons minus three at home against the Bears. Uh, that one really stuck out to me. Same thing like you were saying with the Saints. If it's three, you get a push. And the Falcons, offenses look stellar. Crazy collapse against the Cowboys. They're 0-2. Same thing for them. Must-win situation. Bears team, not very good. They eked out the late win against the Lions. They're 2-0 and because they, by the skin of their teeth, got by the Giants, who were without Saquon Barkley from early in that game. Uh, the Bears took a 17-0 lead into the half, and they barely held on 17-13 with the Giants having a chance from the 10-yard line late. So the Bears are a very overrated 2-0 team. The Falcons are an underrated 0-2 team. Collapse, and they played a really good Seahawks team. It's only three. You got a chance at a push. My number two pick, Falcons minus three at home. I do like the Falcons this week as well. My number two, Joe, This game now, I just looked at it. It's up to 28. I still love it. Georgia at Arkansas. Arkansas is going to be right there with Vandy at the two worst teams in the SEC. Last year, the three best teams Arkansas played were were Auburn. They lost 51-10, 41-point loss. Alabama, 48-7, 41-point loss. And LSU, 56-20, 36-point loss. They're playing Georgia. I mean, you know, either the second, third best team in the SEC. Sam Pittman is the new coach of Arkansas. He was the offensive line coach under Kirby Smart at Georgia. So while he does have familiarity with Georgia, Georgia also has familiarity with him. They obviously have better players, and I think they're just they're going to kill him. Arkansas, I cannot see them scoring more than 10 points in this game. They'll be right around 7 or 10. So if Georgia gets into the 40s, which I think they will, you're going to be a winner, so I like Georgia minus the 28. BJ, my number one pick of the week this week is not one because I think it of a lock. It's not one because I think of it as a lock. It's one because I love the value and I love the situation. Um, it's a money line dog that is a four point dog, and they're plus 170 on the money line. The we New might York have the Giants same. Oh, okay. At home. The New York Giants at home against the San Francisco 49ers. Money line plus 170. They're not number one this week on my list because I think them as a lock. They're number one because I think that's a great spot for them, value, for a multitude of reasons. A lot of backups. Yes. A lot of backups out there for the Niners. They are down Garoppolo. They are down Mostert and Coleman. So they're down to their third and fourth running backs. Bosa's gone. Solomon Thomas, gone. One big thing here, the psychological – the turf. The Niners, the Niners pinned everything from that Jets game injury-wise on the turf, which is brutal excuse because if you go back and look at all those injuries, every single one of them involved contact, and they were like funky collisions. None of them were non-contact injuries unless I missed one of them. Garoppolo, contact. Mostert, contact. Bosa blocked in the Thomas, ground in yeah. a bad way. Thomas blocked in the ground in a bad way. So staying on the East Coast for two weeks, on that same turf that's already in the back of their mind, Will they be pulling up on some plays? Will they be afraid to do certain things because they have the turf monster in their mind? The Giants loved what I saw out of them. Joe Judge, brand new head coach, tore them a new one in the locker room at halftime. And they responded. They were down 17-0 on the road against the Bears. Without Barkley. 
like without Barkley, like I said, they come back, they lose 17-13, had a chance to win it late. They're at home. They're against a team that's really banged up. Second week in a row on the East Coast because they didn't travel back west. They stayed east. They want to get back home to their families. They're afraid of the turf monster, uh, literally. And they're down to a backup quarterback, third and fourth string running back. Love the value of the Giants as a money line dog. They're number one on my list this week. Again, not because I view it as a lock, but because I love that pick. I like it. I like it. My number one, I'm going with the dog in the NFL as well, but I'm taking the points. Mm. Texans plus four against the Steelers really? is my number one. I considered bet. Steelers minus four as one of my Thank you. Okay. <laughs> I, I really like Houston. Houston, they could not have had a tougher start to their schedule. You get the Chiefs on the road week one. You get the Ravens at home week two. They probably knew they'd be 0-2 to start the season, maybe 1-1 if they were lucky, but probably knew 0-2. This was the game that they circled. They're like, at Pittsburgh won't be easy, but it's one we got to get. Again, they're 0-2. The Steelers are 2-0. The Texans know they, they just can't get down 0-3. They have to win this game. There's a reason that spread is only 4. Again, the Texans can lose by a field goal. You're still a winner. The Steelers don't blow anybody out. The Giants hung around with them on Monday night. Locke went down for the Broncos, and they still made that a game. So the Steelers can't blow anybody out. The Texans are the desperate team. I think they cover the spread plus four against Pittsburgh. Right. Not bad. Let's see how we do this week. I, maybe I'm getting too confident with my 7-3 and three lead that I have over you to your 2-8 and eight that I went with. Yep. I went with two. Two money line dogs. Granted, we both have one of them in the Vikings. So you went Jags Dolphins over. You went Vikings money line. Colts minus eleven and a half. Falcons minus three. Giants money line. That's my five. Beautiful. I went Vikings money line. Saints minus three. Army plus thirteen and a half. Georgia minus twenty eight. Texans plus four. We'll see what happens. Joe, it is time for trivia, and I hear it you is. got a little surprise for I me. I do. Okay. I went tennis this week because the French Open starts Sunday, and I feel like tennis, because there's so much going on, is what we've neglected. We didn't touch enough on the U.S. Open for yeah. tennis uh, with, with team winning it and with Osaka winning it, and it was a great tournament. And now we get the French, and it's in front of fans, and uh, it's a quick turnaround, different surface, a lot of intrigue. Um, so I went that way, and uh, – You've got your seven and a half to five and a half lead still. And my question to you is this. Let me get my clock ready here. One it's got to be Nadal related. It, it, in a way. Um, so Nadal wins all the time at the French. We know this. Right. Since 05, he has won 12 of them. Okay. I want you to give me the three people, not named Rafael Nadal, <laughs> who have won the French Open. Since 2005, and just because typically our questions to each other have four or five answers as opposed to three, in addition to giving me the three people who won it, not named Rafael Nadal, I want you to give me the name of the person that Nadal beat these last two years. Same guy, back-to-back years. It was the same final two years in a row. So four names, three of them the people who have won it, not named Nadal since 05. The other one is the guy Nadal beat the last gotcha. two years. Your time starts now. Team's the guy that he beat. Yes, the last two years. years. Uh, Federer has won one. He has. Oh, has Djokovic ever won a French? I don't know if he has. I don't think Andy Murray's ever won one. So it's going to be like a guy like Stan Wawrinka maybe, or I know Del Potro won a U.S. Open 
or was that Chilich? Maybe one of those two. Um, is there anybody else? I mean, I'll go Djokovic. Djokovic is one of them. Okay. So okay. So the last one is the toughie. Oof. You know what? I'm gonna go Stamrowenka. It is. Is it? There you go. <laughs> All Talk right. Went, went out went out to left field with a tennis question, nice. and, you na- and you nailed it. Uh, it was Roger Federer in 09 against Robin Soderling after Soderling upset Nadal before the final. So that was how Federer got his career Grand Slam. Right. And in 15 and 16, uh, well, Rinka won it in 15 over Djokovic, and then Djokovic won it over Andy Murray in 16. About that. So everybody you named that was right there except for <laughs> Chilich and Del Potro. Nice. All right, Joe, my question. We had Jolene Holiday on, so I'm giving you a Maryland basketball All right. question. All right. So – over the last two years, obviously, the Big Ten all-first team has had 10 players on it, okay? Two of those players made the first team last year, and they made it in 2018 and 2019. So there are only eight players, essentially, that have made the Big Ten all-first two team the last two years. Do you follow? Yes. So, so eight players because two players have done it twice. Exactly. Okay. And so you're naming eight players, but really you're naming five because three of those players are Terps to give you a little, to give you a okay. little help on this. Okay. Get you in the right mind frame. All right. So you want all, you want all, all, eight. all eight players, but three of them are Maryland. So really it's five. All right. Okay. All right. Okay. Whenever you're ready, go ahead. All right. Jalen Smith. One. Anthony Cowan Jr. Two. Bruno Fernando. There are your three. Okay. okay. There are your three terms. All right. All right. All right. Now the fun starts. Luca Garza. Four. Okay. Um, after Luca Garza. Um, God, Big Ten basketball is out of my mind. I'm, I, I, it's going to be because I don't remember their names, not because I don't remember what they did. Um, you got 60 seconds left, so plenty of time. I know it's the big from Ohio State, who I can't stand, but his name is escaping me. I know it's the shooting guard from Penn State, whose name is escaping me. Um, like I said, it's just because it's been so far from my mind. It's the names that are going to get me, even though I know who they are. Right. Um, 40 seconds left. So, yeah, so you're missing two more from this year, from this past year, and then you're missing two from the 2018-19. Okay. Um, just think schools. Think Big Ten schools. I know, I know, I know. I'm just that's what I, that's just the names that I'm not going to get. Um, is see, I'm, it's the names. I'm telling you, it's the names. I'm freezing up. Um, you got 20 seconds. It's the it's the guard from Purdue who's now at the Celtics. Yes, yes. Um, <laughs> I mean, you're you're naming Isaac, I mean, Isaac Haas. No, it's not. You didn't make it. Okay. Um, you got five seconds. Uh, Kofi Coburn. From no. Illinois this year? Did he make it? No. no. All right. All right. So, I mean, you were on the right sheet. You just couldn't get the names. So See the names. The first team this past year. College basketball has been, like we said, it's been the one thing that has, in all that's going on, has not been talked about because it was the first thing to end, and it's going to be the last thing to come back. So just the names. are, And, and, and we haven't had a normal draft season, so just right. the names are coming back. Right. So Garza, Cowan, and Sticks from this past year you got. The two that have made it both of the past two years were Cassius Winston, Michigan State. Oh, that one I should have gotten. 
And Lamar uh, Stevens was the guy from Penn State. Lamar Stevens, yes. Lamar yes. Stevens. Like I said, I couldn't remember the names, but like, right. I gave you the three of them. You I did. described them all for you. <laughs> and then the three that were the year previous, 2018, 2019, you got Bruno. Carson Edwards was the guy from Purdue you were thinking yeah. of. And then Ethan Hack, Wisconsin, was the other guy. Gotcha. All right. Well. So those – I mean, <laughs> you, you were right there. It was just the names. So those, those were the eight I, guys. I will, I'm not mad that I didn't get it because even if I remember the names, there was no shot I was pulling Ethan Happ. I didn't realize he was good enough to get first team. So I would have never pulled Ethan Happ, so I'm not as disappointed after you gave it to me. Stevens and Edwards, you got. You just couldn't remember their name. Yeah. Cassius, I mean, I don't Who's, even think – Who am I thinking of? Hold on. Ohio State, I, I can't remember the big's name. Um, Ohio State men's basketball. I'm Googling this oh, right now. Oh, yeah, 34. I can see he's big boy. Yeah, big boy, uh, really Wesson? soft. Caleb Wesson? Yeah, Caleb, Caleb Wesson. Wesson. Big boy, really, really soft not. and really complaining. Team. And, um, yeah, but. He was not first. I know Hap, I was surprised that he only graduated two years ago. I'm like, wow. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, you know what? You took it. I tried to go out of left field. Yeah. Sorry if that was college basketball. I didn't realize that it wasn't. It was a fair question. In my heart of hearts, I trust (laughs) that. I trust that you would have given it to me because I described the players and just couldn't remember their names. And it was just because I couldn't think of Winston and Hap that you didn't give it to, that I didn't get it. So in my heart of hearts, which is what matters. In my heart of hearts, I know that I would have, you would have given it to me anyway for knowing Carson Edwards and Lamar Stevens, but I missed the other two because I wouldn't have thought right. of that. And I can't believe I forgot of Winston. That one is not shame on that's, me. That's, that's so, a little bit. That was a good that's question. Bad. I like that. There you go. I like that. All good right. job knocking the tennis out of the park. So eight Pretty and a half to that. five and a half for the, for the lead that I've got nice now in the best bets. You've, right. got it, you've got it brewing and tripping. And best bets, you'll be probably like 11 and four at the end of the week, and I'll be like three and 12. Ah, don't be so hard on yourself. You'll, you might get two this week. Well, we both got the season. Vikings, so I'm we did. definitely betting the Titans for yeah. sure. Yeah. Yep. Because exactly. we, well, we both had San Francisco last week. True. So True. You know, we'll see what happens. All right, we'll see you next week, episode 19. And uh, we got another That's great right. guest in store and, and a lot of fun. And uh, PJ, start, Looking forward start to start it, Joe. Start looking at the menu. Start looking at the menu. It's that all-star special that's coming my way in, in, a, in a few months from now. So. It is. <laughs> we will see. This was a lot of fun. Thanks again to Johnny Holiday. We'll see you next week for episode 10.